Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you Ritual for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. How are you keeping you're self-oriented to both the impeachment trial happening, the State of the Union coming up, and this process. What do you, how do you know what to care about? Who's in charge of scheduling? We need to talk. (laughs) This is Sarah and Beth. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics, the home of grace-filled political conversations. From New Hampshire, we are recording in the beautiful studio at Stout Heart. We just met with some listeners at River Run Bookstore and are here to give you, as best as we can, some on-the-ground perspective on the the first-in-the-nation primary. So today we're going to pick up where we left off on Friday, talk a little bit of news, and then we're going to share a few conversations that we've had as we've interacted with people covering the primary, involved in the primary, to give you a, a little bit of additional perspective. First, we wanted to say thank you for all the wonderful feedback we got on Friday's episode. We were both pretty raw emotionally, and it turns out all of you were as well. And so we so appreciate the affirmation, the gratitude, the recognizing that, yes, I do cry a lot and you love me just the same. So I think what you hear from all the feedback that we got from that episode is people are still really caught up emotionally from the past election. One of the interviews we're going to share in the next segment is with Martha McCollum from Fox News, and she calls it 2016 PTSD, and I think that's right. And so we're all still really caught up emotionally in what has happened up until this point. And what we saw from several news items this week is that the president is not 
going to give us a break that those intense experiences are not over with. He had the Vindman brothers, the Colonel Vindman who testified during the impeachment hearing, and his twin brother escorted from the White House. They still have jobs in the government, but they no longer work in the White House. This seemed like a very sort of dramatic exercise for everybody's benefit. And he also relieved Ambassador Somlin from his post at the EU. And while he certainly has the right to make those decisions, you know, everyone serves at the pleasure of the president, it seemed pretty small. I think the real win for Trump was not in firing these three people, although I'm certain that it scratched kind of a vindictive itch for him, but more that he found Republican senators like Marco Rubio willing to publicly defend his doing so, because it kind of cements that there's not going to be any check from the United States Senate on what he does. And knowing that, I think it sets a really different table going into the primary. I certainly felt that the debate that took place Friday night as we were receiving news of these personnel changes was discordant because the debate itself really started to ramp up the contentiousness as we still have this really muddy field of five, maybe six viable candidates all trying to now cut away at each other to say, this is why this person needs to go and I need to stay. And I'm just really uninterested in that in the midst of what's going on nationally. Strangely, the person who struck the best chord with me in this debate was Senator Sanders when he said, whoever wins the damn thing, we're going to get behind that person. And that's the kind of conversation that I'm having a lot in my personal life. I'm not here for negative ads and attacks. I just want to hear why the Democratic Party has a better vision going into November. I have a really sort of paradoxical reaction. First, I do want to say that I think during the debate, Senator Sanders twice struck very gracious tones that moment and when they asked him about Hillary Clinton saying nobody likes him and he was like, hey, you know what? I'm not looking back at 2016. I'm only looking forward, which I thought was very gracious of him and I really appreciated that moment. I have this reaction where I really appreciate and I'm really drawn to sort of raw moments like we expressed on Friday, like you saw James Carville viral moment on MSNBC where he was like, we have got to win. No one's paying attention. And I'm sort of drawn to that. One of the moments I was drawn to in the debate was when Tom Steyer was like, he's going to run on the economy. We don't have an answer for that. So there's this part of me that's like leaning in to the naming of that intense anxiety we're all feeling. I was expressing to my husband, I'm a little afraid that they haven't gone after each other hard enough because some of the benefit of the primary is you do the research you expose the weaknesses so that either they, if they're not survivable, that candidate doesn't survive, or if they are, they're already out there in old news by the general election. And there is a part of me that's like, are we doing enough of that? Are they getting um, hard enough challenges so that, that's, so that we understand what's out there and how to respond? So I have that moment where I'm like, yeah, we needed this. This is going to be a tough election, and so it should be a tough primary, and let's all lean into that. And then I have this other reaction where I believe everybody, when they say, except for Tulsi Gabbard, who really doesn't even say it, that they're going to unite around the candidate. And I think that's all true. And I totally agree that obviously, you know, going up against the president is one of the top priorities. But it's like, I want them to respond to that. And also, I don't think anybody can read the future. So there's really not a response that's good enough for me. You know, I have this really weird... Yeah, someone is naming this fear I have and this anxiety, and also there's no answer good enough to make me feel good about it. 
except for just getting to the general and seeing what happens. And so I'm like caught in this in the in-between. We've been talking a lot about fighting the last war, and there is a sense, you know, in media coverage that everyone's trying not to repeat the mistakes of 2016. I think there is a discussion to be had about the issues being debated in the Democratic Party. Sometimes I try to close my eyes listening to these debates and think, do I feel like this is 2020, or do I feel like this is a conversation that could have been had in 2016, 2012, 2008? And I had a lot of those moments in this debate where I thought, I'm not sure that this is meeting the moment. And some of that is definitely my mood. But some of it is coronavirus and the future of global pandemics. Some of it is disinformation and the conversations you and I have been having, Sarah, about Facebook and about the role of Facebook in our elections, about Chinese hacking. I'm not sure that we're having a very future-focused campaign. And I don't think that's really anybody's fault. It's almost that there's too much to adjust to at one time, and it all becomes a blur. We really loved the essay that appeared in Sunday's New York Times from Ross Douthat about decadence and how a hallmark of American society right now is that we talk about everything like it's the worst ever, but our actions are those of a society that's quite comfortable where it is. And I think that that's how this primary is playing out. The stakes feel incredibly high and our feelings aren't translating to much action. We just had a conversation with a woman in New Hampshire, Sherry, and we're going to share more of this with you on Friday, who's been to every single candidate event. She's taking her responsibility as a New Hampshire voter as seriously as anyone could take it. And she told us to expect low turnout because people really are fatigued with the process and just sort of ready to get to November and they're comfortable voting for whoever becomes the nominee then. One of my biggest issues with the debate is I feel like they are going after Trump, 2016 Trump and not 2020 Trump. I feel like they're still responding to the, the the character of Trump instead of acknowledging that he's an incumbent president. And I think that's that's something that has been missing from the debate and from the conversation. And when I'm reading that essay and I'm thinking about my own comfort level and the fact that I think both truly horrendous policies are being put in place, people are being affected in some of the most traumatic ways possible. And also, I look around at my life and my social circle and a lot of people who are likely voters and think their lives probably haven't been affected that much. I mean, I remember this from George W. Bush. It felt like it was the end of the world. It felt like the deck was stacked against Democrats. The Democratic Party was over. You had this corporate presence in the White House, and we were all done, and they had war on their side. And then we got Obama, and America moved on, and all politics is cyclical. And so, you know... It's this really hard tone because you cannot strike the same tone of 2016 if he's elected, it's the end of the world because he has in fact been elected and been the president for three years and we are all still here, some of us. And so I just think that the you can't still do that. You can't still do this, well, if he wins again, it's the end of the world because people are going, well, you know, you said that in 2016 and we're all still here and we have to have a better answer to that and I think Part of this is it's not just, oh, can we stop talking about our fellow Americans like enemies? It, there's also this disinformation. And I, I feel bad because I feel like our listeners have been telling us this. I feel like we get all the time, well, how do I have a conversation when it feels like we're in different universes, when we can't agree on the facts? And I feel like what they've been scratching the surface off 
what they've been scratching the surface of is this this really sophisticated disinformation campaign the use of social media the fact that facebook acknowledges they do not fact check political ads and i wonder if we're spending enough time with each other talking about the fact that someone can pay to spread a message to the screen we all have in our faces the majority of the day that is false that is not true and that's something i've really been thinking about not just because of that essay but there was a great article in the atlantic we'll link to in the show notes too about this guy who set up a fake facebook account as a journalist, subscribed to Trump's text messages, followed all these Trump websites, and by the end, he felt himself questioning news articles, not because he, they'd convinced him, just because it gets in your head, and you start to think, well, where can I trust? I can't really trust. You know, we really, it's 2020, and I know that we have disagreements, but we shouldn't travel around the country to college campuses and keep getting the question, where do you get your news? You get your news from ABC, NBC, New York Times, Washington Post, you get your news from mass media, like... I just, it's its really, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, why couldn't I see this? Why couldn't I see this troubling trend right in front of my face? In this article in The Atlantic, he uses the phrase censorship through noise. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's what's happening. It's, there's so much noise. That's She talks about that with the low turnout. She talks about, uh, Sherry talked about that in New Hampshire here with the low turnout. People are exhausted. People don't know how to, who to trust. So you start seeing QAnon in real life instead of just on 4chan. And it's really, really troubling. Yeah, when you have a conversation about fact-checking, a lot of times the answer becomes, well, who could do that? There isn't anybody unbiased enough to be a fact-checker. That's not true. False. That's not true. I think one of the encouraging threads to come out of the whole impeachment situation is that by the end, we did have consensus on what the facts were. Yeah. We didn't have consensus on what they meant and what actions they should prompt. But no one was trying to say anymore, actually, he didn't put this pressure on Ukraine because of his interest in bad news about the, the Bidens. We did get to the facts. The facts are what they are. So we're capable of that when we want to be. Should it take 72 hours of re- repetition of the facts and multiple witnesses? No. But I think as an American public, we can get to what is true and we can suspend that cynical kind of lazy out of everyone's corrupt, everyone's bias. It's all wrong. It's not. That's just what we use to hang back from the process. And that's a deliberate strategy. And part of what I loved about that essay on decadence is that a feature of dystopian societies is you get this new normal created where everyone just accepts that we can't trust anything. Everyone just accepts that um, my life is supposed to be a continuous blur that I sort of dull out with my drugs of choice and I make the best of it. Even on the economy, there is room for disagreement. Yes, the stock market has performed remarkably. Also, the Wall Street Journal reports that global trade fell to the fourth worst in 40 years because of the U.S.-China trade war. You know, there are certainly symptoms throughout the economy that would lead one to believe that we're in a period right now that is unsustainable and that the next president is going to have to address that. I don't know how the Democratic candidates talk about all of the challenges of the future without sounding very gloom and doom, and it's hard to provoke a marketing decision like voting, because unfortunately that's what it's become, talking in such a negative way. 
But I think there is a case to be made that there are challenges coming our way that we can't roll the dice with four more years of Donald Trump on. Although we met some lovely people in a breakfast shop in Fremont, New Hampshire this morning who said, the economy is doing amazing here and that's good enough for me. So I'm going to stay with Donald Trump. Well, as much as a lot of things don't feel real, we do want to stay attached to the very real consequences of politics here. So before we move on, NPR is reporting that two American soldiers were killed and six more were wounded in Afghanistan on Saturday. This was called a green on blue attack. The situation is that American soldiers fight alongside global coalition troops as well as Afghan forces who we are training and supporting in our peacekeeping mission there. And a green on blue attack occurs when Afghan soldiers turn and attack U.S. and coalition troops. This happened a lot in the mid-2000s. 2012 was the peak of these types of attacks. We don't know if the gunman who opened fire on Saturday was an Afghan soldier or someone who stole a military uniform to impersonate a soldier, but Sergeant First Class Javier Gutierrez of San Antonio and Sergeant First Class Antonio Rodriguez of Las Cruces were both 28 years old and killed in combat. And just thinking of their families and remembering that it all is very real for someone, even if it doesn't feel real in our homes and communities every single day. And we also wanted to compliment the... Vinman Brothers for the gracious way in which they handled their, what I will be very positively spinning as a reassignment, because I don't want to give into the drama of the whole escort from the White House situation. And we wanted to share a quote from their attorney. He did what any member of our military is charged with doing every day. He followed orders, he obeyed his oath, and he served his country, even when doing so was fraught with danger and personal peril. And for that, the most powerful man in the world, buoyed by the silent, the pliable, and the complicit, has decided to exact revenge. If we allow truthful voices to be silenced, if we ignore their warnings, eventually there will be no one left to warn us. We will be right back after this short message from our sponsor. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi-connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day. Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. 
You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. So since we are out and about, we wanted to share conversations from different perspectives. We brought you quite a few voices from Iowa talking about the decision of choosing a candidate there. We brought you some campaign rallies. And today we want to share two very different perspectives. First from Martha McCallum, who is an anchor at Fox News. One of our listeners works at Fox News in the journalism side and reached out to us to talk about Martha's approach to covering these elections. And so we spent some time with her in the basement of the building that Fox News had in Des Moines, Iowa, to cover the primary. It was really neat to see the process there and how all of the media works. And Martha was very gracious with her time and her perspective. We asked her first what she is looking for going into New Hampshire, and here's what she shared. So obviously New Hampshire is different than Iowa. It's, you know, next to Vermont. It's become a lot more like Vermont in terms of the demographics of New Hampshire. It's changed a lot over the, you know, it used to be like, you think live free or die, or sort of a libertarian kind of mentality. Um, but it has become, I think, a lot more leaning towards the, you know, sort of more left side of, of Democrat politics. So I think Bernie's probably going to do really well in New Hampshire. Um you know, it's, it's just a totally different vibe. It's a new. I think it's interesting to see who, after tonight, says I'm I'm not going anywhere. You know, it's such a short window. I think mm. most of them will. Yeah, I can't really true. see of these seven candidates, any of them dropping out uh, before New Hampshire. And for some of them who are sort of getting some more traction, even like Yang or Klobuchar, um, they're going to see what they can do in, in New Hampshire. I think people are going to be still looking for alternatives, and I think they all, all these campaigns know that. And also, they've got money coming in still those candidates, which is, says something as well. I think the Bloomberg thing is a really interesting storyline to watch. Um, you know, he was always counting on Biden not making it, um, to make his candidacy a potential choice for people. But now it doesn't feel like that anymore. It feels like he's just going to keep coming on and Mm. see what happens. You know, he has a ton of money and he's putting his name and his face in front of people everywhere he goes, everywhere he goes, mostly on TV so far, but he'll uh, no doubt be doing a lot more campaign events. 
So does he become an option? I think we could have a brokered convention yeah. between Bernie and Bloomberg. That's a scenario that I can imagine. That makes me very nauseous. But how are you keeping yourself oriented to both the impeachment trial happening, the State of the Union coming up, and this process? What do you? I how mean, do you know what to care about? about every who's day? in charge of scheduling? We need to talk. To <laughs> I know. I mean, we were just talking about this on Bill Hammer show a moment ago. It's just such an incredible confluence of historic events all happening at the same time. It's almost incomprehensible how many things are going on right now in the middle of impeachment and these primaries. And, you know, what about the coronavirus? What about the Weinstein trial? Oh, and there's another debate on Friday. Fun facts. <laughs> what about all of these cases that, you know, could be giving us a storyline that would last us all week, you know, in a, in a huge way. So I think if it's hard for us, I know it's hard for the American people who have their lives to live, mm-hmm. their jobs to do, and they're trying to catch up on, on it when they get a chance to listen um, and watch. But yeah, it's, it's really incredible. And it's been like this, I would say since 2016, since the campaign in 2016. Do you think this characterization of moderate lane and uh, progressive lane is, is fair or are we missing something if we think of it in just two, two lanes? Well, I think it's fair. Um, you know, I, I think that the, the moderate lane has become much more progressive, you know, mm-hmm. when, when you have a lot of Democrats who are all talking about free medical care and free college. Um, and I was shocked actually the other day when I heard Joe Biden at a debate say that he would eliminate fracking. Now fracking is one of the, you know, obviously it has environmental concerns, but it's one of the biggest employers in Michigan, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. So to stand up on a stage and say, I'm going to eliminate, you know, 300 to 400,000 jobs in areas that are huge factors in the election, I think is, is risky on their part. I'm, I'm amazed that we're, we're in a situation where you have a, someone who considers themselves to be a democratic socialist who is potentially the, the lead candidate. You know, I think a lot has changed in America when that when that's the case, and I think there's a number of reasons for it. Yeah, I get so much traction. If he came in to move the Democratic Party to the left in 2016, he has more than succeeded. Absolutely, in that goal. And I think you know, we were talking to the Democratic Party chair, and she said, "I'm seeing this coverage that it could, we could be talking about Bernie or Bloomberg." neither of which are Democrats, you know, like these people are not long-term Democrats. And I think that just speaks to the really changing nature, not just of the party is changing, but also it's holding so many people. It's holding people who have been lifelong Republicans who are unhappy with Trump all the way to democratic socialists. That is a big tent. That's not a tent. That's like a cruise liner. Okay. You know, and it's hard to steer a cruise liner. So I think that that is, problematic for so many decades it was union membership and that's shifting and it's the party is changing and it's being asked to hold so much and this one person's going to be asked to hold so much i've been telling people we need to lean into the rule of improv yes and whatever happens yes and and. no and and. no no so we're just yes and right now democrats that's where we're we're living it's interesting i think there's so many parallels between what bernie is sort of causing in terms of ruckus in the democratic party and what trump caused in terms of ruckus in the republican party where it's like wait a minute republicans are supposed to look and sound like this and care about these things and democrats are saying the same thing you know that they sort of don't understand you know what's happening right Mm -hmm. and i think republicans went through that when I covered the 2016 election, you know, I mean, I I couldn't ask to be doing this job at a more interesting time, actually. It's just so dynamic and changing so much every day. Do you see parallels in the 2016 Republican field and this 2020 Democratic field that sort of share a number of candidates, people in the same lane? And I mean, what, I just wonder what we do with that. What kind of information should we be drawing from 2016 that we aren't right now because it feels so ideologically different? 
Well, I think the big lesson from 2016 was that there were a lot of people in the country who felt like nobody was speaking to them. Mm-hmm. And the Trump campaign campaigned in places that had not seen candidates come through in a long time. Places in western Wisconsin where they just didn't bother campaigning. I mean, I'll never forget, you know, traveling the country in 2016 and seeing bales of hay in the middle of the most rural areas with huge Trump signs trapped to them. And I think we all should have recognized that there was something going on out there, that there was a need for the forgotten man and woman or whatever, you, however you want to phrase it, who said, you know what, I feel like I'm not getting a fair shake. I feel like something's passing me by here and nobody's listening to me or the country's changing in a way that I'm not comfortable with and I don't like. And I see that in, in Bernie's candidacy. It amazes me that four years later, you know, Bernie Sanders is still sort of the person that is driving that kind of passion for change. And I do think, you know, especially with young people. So part of our discussion with Martha involved the sort of moderate lane versus progressive lane. And I think, Sarah, you've done a really good job as we've been out and about talking about this is a tension that is almost too big for one party to hold. Yeah, I always say that it's not a tent, it's a cruise liner, and those are hard to steer. If you're trying to capture everyone from a Bernie bro to somebody like Beth, who's left the Republican Party, that's just, it's a really really big group of people. So we spent some time in addition to talking with journalists in our travels with someone who's doing a a new form of activism. Liam Kerr is with the Welcome Party, which describes itself as engaging independents and advocating for a big tent Democratic Party. The Welcome Party is active in New Hampshire and South Carolina right now. According to their website, independent voters are the largest share of the electorate in New Hampshire. I also saw Axios reporting today that the biggest voting bloc in America are eligible non-voters. And so this outreach is particularly important. In New Hampshire, independents can cast a ballot in the primary of either party and are poised to constitute nearly 50% of the 2020 Democratic primary electorate. So Liam spent some time sharing with us what the Welcome Party is doing to reach those voters. We realize that it's nobody's job to reach out to independents and encourage them to vote in the primary. The way our politics works really just encourages talking to people you know are going to vote. Um, And it creates a feedback cycle that leaves out a lot of people. What's the reception been like as you've had those conversations? Yeah, it's been refreshing. We had a uh, a big listening session um, a couple weeks ago uh, that was covered by the Union Leader uh, newspaper up in up in Manchester. And you know, one thing that jumped out was the word "judged." Um, People feel judged by Democrats. As you are having these discussions, and particularly as you're talking with the folks who say they have felt judged by the Democratic Party, are there particular issues that come up, or is it more just the the labeling, like that that sense of Sarah and I always talk about wearing your your partisan jerseys? Is it more just the the label of it, or are there certain issues that you think, boy, if we could just get past this or put it to the side for one cycle, we would have a much bigger tent? Yeah. Um, that's a great question. I think, you know, I love what you are doing because it is an antidote to that. It is getting past that. And, um, you know, we do see the symptoms of this problem in I think three pretty distinct ways, um, for the democratic party, you know, one is around, um, particular issues. Um, one is uh, a second is, um, just a, a mentality. Um, that I think conservative media is also inflamed around, you know, non-college voters not being kind of welcome in the Democratic Party. And we've seen that in some of our research. 
And then uh, the third is, you know, what you talk about a lot, it's more the anti-partisanship than partisanship. You know, it's not about putting on a jersey and saying, we are Democrats, we want a majority, we want to grow, we want to welcome more people in, we want to bring them to our side. Um, and it's similar on the Republican side. It is, you know, yelling at the TV, hoping the other team loses. And is that acrimony, negativity, anti-partisanship, um, which really turns a lot of people off. For Democrats, Democrats are supposed to be the welcoming party. Welcome to our country. Welcome in whatever your lifestyle is um, to contribute to meaningfully to our society. Um, and so I think there's some cognitive dissonance within the Democratic uh, activist base um, to say, you know, we're actively turning people off. You know, we need to acknowledge that about ourselves and we need to change our approach. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered showerhead is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. 
comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. I think the purity test conversation is really difficult to have. I understand that that approach really turns people off. But I think, you know, for better or for worse, the parties think their, you know, sort of oppositional focus is the other party. I wish either party would focus on that huge group of eligible but non-voting members because it really would shift the perspective. But right now I think the perspective is win. And so if you're winning, all you're obsessed with is your enemy. We were talking earlier today about agency as a focus, how most people want to feel some sense of greater power in their lives and how our central tension between the two of us, Sarah, is that that we view government and business differently. And we talk about the gas and the brakes that we each see each one as having different capacities to solve problems. But the more we're out talking with people and reading and thinking, the more I've come to understand that I'm not sure the average person thinks a lot about those two forces as in opposition to each other. I think they seem like the same thing to a lot of people, that there are just forces at work in our lives that we don't have much control over. My vote doesn't matter that much. And I think that's why for people who are really into politics, the power that they lean into is feeling like I found people who check all my boxes. And that's why we get this purity test. Something Liam talked with me about is if we're talking about seven issues, people are looking for someone who hits seven of seven for them. And what the welcome party is trying to say is let's go with four. Can we get four of seven? Can we lean into the idea that we're going to prioritize some things? And yeah, we're not going to get there on all of them and that's okay. And I feel like some freedom has come for me in not being very attached to a political party and recognizing that, yeah, I can choose four for this election. It might be four different issues in another election. My priorities might shift based on time, but I don't have to find a place on the electoral map and set up my home there forever because we are in a dynamic period historically. At least I hope we are. I hope that we don't just continue on sort of a glide path where we're not standing up and taking greater control. And so I feel like we could develop a different definition of what political power looks like if we were to embrace that I don't have to be 100% aligned. I don't have to be 100% excited about a candidate. I can just look at the reality of things and not take the way out that says it's all equally bad, but actually assert here is what matters to me and here's where it's represented. And so here are a little bit more about how the Welcome Party is taking that view here. One of our other collaborators here is a a professor of political science, has a uh, major theory he puts at the forefront of our work, which is that um, the American political system um, goes through different structures every 50 years or so. Um, And we seem to be at the end of one of those eras. And if you don't reset, it's like resetting a broken bone. If you don't reset it correctly, you're going to be in trouble. And when our kind of fluid political system settles again into two political parties, Democrats cannot just rely on the base right now. 
um, or not just rely on the activists on Twitter. Um, we need to reset our politics in a place where, yes, that faction is uh, heard and does have a place in a big tent, um, but that Democrats are reaching out and letting people know they don't have to be seven of seven. Thank you to Liam and Martha for joining us and sharing their perspective. We also wanted to say that Martha McCollum has a new book that's coming out on February 25th called Unknown Valor, a story of family, courage, and sacrifice from Pearl Harbor to Iwo Jima. It is, it was really, really touching to hear her talk about this hole in her family tree left by a relative who was killed during World War II. And then she goes and finds the soldiers that served with him and hears their perspective and their story. And it's just, it was really, really beautiful. I can't wait to read the book. Anyone who follows us on Instagram knows that what's on Sarah's mind outside of politics today is the Oscars. That's right. The Oscars can't decide what they want to be. Last year they had a bunch of diverse nominees and then they gave the Best Picture Oscar to Green Book, which is basically just a white saviors movie. And then this year they didn't nominate but like one person of color. And then they gave the Oscar to Parasite, the first foreign language film to ever win Best Picture. If they could just tighten that up and combine those two things, they would be winning. It's just, it's, they're a little all over the map. But you enjoyed the show overall. Yeah, no, I think they've done a really good job of going um, hostless. They had cool performances, including Eminem, which you all agree with me is sexy. Universal response when I put that on Instagram. Yeah, I think he's sexy too. So feeling pretty good about that, feeling less alone. Um, and there was, you know, it's like when they don't have to depend on the host to make the jokes, they let the performers do like kind of cute bits that usually you only find on the Golden Globes, but I think are fine on the Oscars. Um, so yeah, I thought it was a really, really good show. And the fashions got really more interesting. People are taking like some risk. I mean, they don't all pay off. Kristen Wiig, but they're always fun to watch. It's more fun to watch that than when everybody's like safe and perfect and beautiful. It's more fun when people take risks. It was interesting being on the road during the Oscars and everywhere we went, they were on. Yeah, on the TV. We were in a really nice restaurant in Boston. They were the Oscars. We went into a bakery in Boston. They were the Oscars. Then we drove into New Hampshire, hotel lobby. They were the Oscars. I went in my room, watched Adina Menzel and the Elsas from around the world, which I thought were lovely, and recorded the nightly nuance and fell asleep promptly. That was my evening. So I don't have a whole lot to say about the Oscars, except that I'm excited that American Factory won because I think it is brilliant. Well, thank you for joining us for another episode of Pantsuit Politics. We will be back in your ears on Friday with hopefully lots of audio from our time here in New Hampshire. I would say results, but I'm not saying that anymore. We don't make assumptions about 2020. Anything could happen between Friday. Trump could drop out of the race. All the Democrats but Delcy Gabbard could remain. Who knows? Who knows? They say that a sign of emotional maturity is comfort with ambiguity. So we're just going to lean right mm -hmm. into that comfort with ambiguity. So we'll look forward to seeing you here on Friday. In between now and then, you can follow along with our travel adventures on Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon. Thank you all very much again for all the feedback. We certainly learn a lot from your emails. So keep those coming. And until we talk with you again on Friday, keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces Pantsuit Politics every week. Thanks for making us sound better, Dylan. Elise Knapp is our managing director, which means we could not make it without her scheduling, organization, feedback, and creativity. Thank you, Elise. We couldn't make Pantsuit Politics without support from our listeners. Go to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics to learn how you can receive more nuance and help us make the show. Special thanks to our executive producers who have committed to supporting us in a major 
life-giving way. Our executive producers are Tracy Putoff, Tim Miller, David McWilliams, Joshua Allen, Linda Rucker, Martha Bernatsky, Melanie Cravey, and Tiffany Hassler. Our theme music is composed and performed by Dante Lima. The music under our ads is composed and performed by Dylan Garvin. Learn more about our lives, live events that we're involved in, and what we're reading each week by signing up for our weekly newsletter at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. And connect with members of the Pantsuit Politics community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. 